Welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. And I'm Dan here with a solo episode, and the title for this episode is Why Christians Should Oppose Transgenderism. Um, Now, in many ways, I I mean, you probably saw the title before you clicked on this, but in many ways, this can sound like a very negative topic to talk about. Um, And even some of you might feel like, is this the right way to talk about it, that that we as Christians should oppose transgenderism? Uh, And I want to say yes, in the same way that we as as Christians oppose racism. Um, I don't think anybody would object to that. If I had a podcast episode titled Why Christians Should Oppose Racism, nobody would read that and then say, wait, are, are you saying that we're going to be mean to racists? Um, you would read that and say, no, we're, we're, we're trying to eradicate. We're, we're trying to do away. We are saying that we as Christians are opposed to something that is dangerous and something that is harmful to others. We are opposed to racism. What I want to say is I think that we also need to be opposed to transgenderism. I think that there's a big temptation for many of us as Christians to kind of feel like, hey, um, maybe internally I object to it. And uh, if the subject were to come up in a very personal way, maybe I would figure out a way to navigate through that. But but really, I'm going to sort of stay away from it. I'm not going to talk too much about it. Uh, I'm not going to be overt about my opposition to it because it, it might just end up bringing hurt feelings and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Um, I, I'm going to give four reasons why I think that if there was a time where maybe it was unclear that Christians need to be more overt in our opposition to this, um, that time has passed. So I'm going to give four reasons why Christians need to oppose transgenderism. If you have some lingering questions about this, I think in walking through these reasons, it's going to become more clear. Um, And also just in walking into it, I want to say, I'm not going to do a lot in this episode to sort of establish scripture's point of view on this. I I will do that a little bit. Um, This episode is less about trying to convince people that are in favor of transgenderism that it's bad. And it's more speaking to those of us who are believers. And we say, yeah, I I am sort of personally opposed to it. And to talk about why it's important that we become more active in our opposition to this. So four reasons why we should oppose transgenderism. Um, First reason is because this has changed from being a marginalized idea to a mainstream idea. And what I mean is this, to some degree, issues surrounding the the transgender question are not brand new. I mean, even as the whole idea of drag queens has been in the news a lot lately, that's not a new phenomenon. You, you know, that, that was going on for a while, and Christians weren't regularly talking about it. And maybe that was appropriate, that it, that it felt like, okay, this, this thing is sort of going on. It's, it's going on in, in the background. It's definitely not mainstream. Um, most people, uh, not just Christians, but most people in general, um, at the very least, kind of look at it as weird and maybe even look at it as um, deviant. It, they might not call it sinful, but they're like, yeah, this is weird. This is not appropriate. This is not mainstream. That has changed. And it's no longer something where we're sort of picking on somebody who's looking to do something in a corner and has nothing to do with us. This has now become a mainstream idea. And, and here's the illustration that, that I want to use to sort of have us think this through. So, so let's say you're driving, you, you've got a couple of buddies and you're driving and uh, you see um, a man by the side of the road. Um, he's kind of dressed like a homeless guy. Um, he's stumbling around. You, you pull over. Um, you realize, man, this guy is 
really drunk out of his mind. He's just not in his right mind. Looks like he probably urinated on himself. He's he's looking sick. He smells really bad. And, and you're trying to figure out what to do. And your friends say, hey, we should give him a ride. And and maybe even you're hesitant. You're like, oh, I don't know. Like, it, this is my car. This is going to smell bad. I don't know what's going on. But your friends convince you that this is the compassionate thing to do. And and they would be right. That, that would be a very compassionate thing to do to, to bring him into the car. So you bring him into the car and, and people are talking to him. And you're, you and your friends are talking to him. And maybe at first you're standoffish. And you're like, I'm not sure I want to talk to this guy. But your friends are saying, hey, th- this is somebody created in the image of God. Why in the world would you not talk to this guy? Why in the world would you not give him the dignity and listen to him? Uh, and once again, you realize, hey, hey, you're right. N- just because this guy um, maybe a- abuses alcohol on a regular basis, just because this guy isn't clean, just because this guy isn't making good life decisions that, that have led him to this, doesn't mean that I shouldn't give him the dignity as somebody created in God's image. The, the friends are absolutely right. And then let's say that the guy in the car says, hey, I'd like to drive. And you say, I'm sorry, I'm not letting you drive. And then your friends say, why in the world aren't you letting him drive? I mean, what, what, what's the problem here? Don't you care about him? You saying he's not allowed to drive made him feel really bad. And look at him. I, I mean, he's, he's homeless. He's consumed a lot of alcohol. He doesn't feel great about himself. He doesn't feel like his life is going well. He, he, he doesn't have this great amount of self-confidence. He, he's dirty. He's tired. He's discouraged. Why would you deny this to him? Why wouldn't you let him drive? Now, at this point, obviously, we would say, well, no, you're not going to let him drive. That, that's craziness. You can have compassion. You can bring him in. You can look to bring dignity. You could show that you care about him. You can show that God cares about him, but he doesn't get to drive. He's not in his right mind. And I think in many ways, this has been some of the progress. It's it's not a perfect parallel, but some of the progress that's happened surrounding transgender questions in our culture. That maybe it started by just saying like, hey, you shouldn't just act grossed out by people going through this. They're really going through something. They're going through something that's very difficult and and nobody does this unless they're confused and troubled. And and so you could say, all right, that's an appropriate rebuke that I can receive. I'm I'm not gonna just be like, ew, that's gross. I'm gonna treat people like, dignified human beings created in the image of God. And I'm I'm not going to try to avoid them. I'm going to be willing to be around them and talk to them and listen to them, but I'm not going to let them drive. And what I mean by this is I'm not going to act as if this is normal and mainstream. I'm not going to act as if this is healthy. And I'm not going to act as if they should be the ones helping us understand what is real and good and true in the world. That would be unwise. And that's what's happening. Um, this has gone from something that's sort of it's off in a corner, it's happening, but there's not really a deep need to comment on it because it's not something that's mainstream to something that's become mainstream in our culture. And it may very well be at this point that that if sort of appropriate questions were asked to try to figure out where everybody's at, that in our culture, um, the majority would still think, no, this, this is deviant behavior, or this is inappropriate behavior. That may be true. But what I'd say is if we are going with the flow we will end up going with a flow that says, this is perfectly fine, this is perfectly normal, why would anybody have a problem with this? You're cisgender, they're transgender, don't worry about it. Um, and, and, and so in some ways, it, this is a little bit similar. I mean, it, in some ways, it's very similar to um, conversations about homosexuality within churches, where, where this dynamic started to happen, and it happened a while ago, 
where um, people that were more of advocates for for gay rights or or for um, same sex affirming churches, uh, and then sort of maybe other Christians who were saying, well, well, maybe I'm not quite affirming, but I'm more sympathetic, would say things like, hey, why are churches always talking about this? And it, it was this weird sleight of hand that happened where, where this became this massive issue in our culture. And then people were saying, hey, this is just a few verses in the Bible. Why are churches always talking about this? And of course, the answer was churches are now talking about this because you guys are talking about this. This went from something that largely in society we agreed was not appropriate to something that now as society we're saying, no, that this is appropriate. In fact, you're out of step if you don't think it's appropriate. Well, now we've got to say something about it. And, and I think in many ways as churches and then as Christians, and this even uh, relates somewhat as parents, um, there are two reasons why we might need to say we, we got to spend more time talking about this issue, about this problem. Um, and the first reason would be if we see it cropping up all over the place. So, so I'll give an example. So, so let's say um, our culture, thankfully, our culture has widely agreed that domestic violence is wrong. If you are going with the flow of our culture, you're saying, hey, domestic violence, a man hitting his wife, that's wrong. You can't do that. So I don't necessarily need to get up on a Sunday and try to convince everybody of that because our, our culture sort of agrees on that. But if I was seeing cases crop up amongst the membership of our church where this was happening, even though we all sort of agree that it's wrong, if it's happening behind the scenes, we got to talk about it because people's lives are being affected by it. So that's the first reason why you talk about it, because you'd say that this is happening. The second reason you might say, well, maybe it's not overtly happening all over the place, but because the cultural landscape has changed, because now the default position is we are affirming transgenderism, we've got to talk about it because otherwise people are gonna be led down a road. If we just go with the flow, we know where this flow is headed. So first reason why Christians need to be more overt in our opposition to transgenderism as an ism is that it now has gone from sort of something off to the side to a mainstream idea and we need to be opposed to that. Um, second reason, and, and this just goes along with it, second reason why we need to be opposed is because this is a deceptive and harmful idea. It's a deceptive and harmful ideology. Um, and, and surrounding a lot of the LGBTQ uh, questions, um, Romans chapter one, which, which this is just an aside, some Christians have, have kind of turned to calling Romans one, 1 Corinthians one, so some of these passages on homosexuality have referred to them as clobber passages. Um, and even some who are, who are still holding sort of the biblical line and saying, no, that the Bible does teach that homosexual actions are wrong, um, are, are still calling these clobber passages as, as if it's this compassionate thing to say, hey, we're, we're not gonna clobber people with these. Because this is God's word. I will never call any passage of God's word a clobber passage. That's just a weird thing to do. That's a little bit of an aside. Um, anyway, the Romans one that does end up talking about homosexuality talks about it in this way. It talks about exchanging the natural function of men to an unnatural function. And then it talks about women in the same way. So it says men with men and women with women, they've exchanged the natural for the unnatural. Well, leading up to that was some other exchanges. If you go back and read Romans one, it talks about exchanging the truth for a lie. And it talks about exchanging the worship of the creator with worshiping the creation. 
And so I think it's insightful that, that there's this path that leads us to the point. He doesn't just say, hey, something went wrong and then gay people showed up. That, that's not the way he couches it. He says, this is an outflow of us exchanging the truth for a lie. When you think even beyond the question about homosexuality and the question about transgenderism, that this is much more overtly exchanging the truth for a lie. The idea that even now we're being told you should say something untrue that you know is untrue because it's the nice thing to do. So you should call him her, you should call her him. We are exchanging the truth for a lie. And this is not a victimless crime. This is not a victimless idea. People are being led into harm, sometimes physical harm, but at the very least, they are being led further into deception. If we are going with the flow in this, what, are we, what we're saying to a whole bunch of people who are being deceived is, we are going to affirm that your delusion is correct. This is not loving. This is not compassionate. We're playing with real bullets here. People are really dealing with this. And once again, you could say, well, well that's not new. Pe people were dealing with sort of gender confusion for a long time. That's true. But when society as a whole looked at that and said, no, no, you're, you're out of step. That, that's not an appropriate way to handle this problem things might have been a little bit different where there wasn't as much of a need for us to be opposed to this solution to gender confusion. Now we need to be more, much more overtly opposed to this solution for gender confusion. So that's number two, that this is a harmful and deceptive ideology and idea. Um, third reason why Christians should oppose transgenderism is because we want societal norms to be healthy. Um, you know, th there's questions flying all over the place right now sort of about the um, relationship between Christians and the state and um, questions of Christian nationalism or patriotism or, or things like that. Um, here's something that I would hope every Christian would agree with. I would hope every Christian would agree that it is beneficial if the societal norms, maybe not even the laws themselves, but just the things that are normalized in American society are things that are healthy and good. Uh, I think we would be wise to say, well, yeah, of course we want that. Um, when we're talking about marriage, we should say, you know, we want the societal norm to be that married couples work out their problems and stay together. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to agree on what the law should be surrounding divorce and no-fault divorce, but at the very least, if we said, here's what we want the societal norm to be. We want the societal norm to be that people don't get divorced, that they stay together, that they work out their problems, and that they experience harmony and stability for their family. That's what we want. The, that's the norm that we're going to advocate for. In the same way, I also mentioned domestic violence before. We want the norm to be like, hey, no, that, that's not okay. It's not okay to go and do that. And we do have laws surrounding that. We want, if, if the norm is, no, 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 if you're mad at your wife, you don't hit her, you don't push her, you, you go to marriage counseling or you talk it through or you go for a walk to blow off steam. You, you find a different way to handle this. We want societal norms to be healthy. And once again, the reason why we need to talk about this more, I, I don't know any pastor who's like, finally, I get to talk about transgenderism all the time. Nobody's excited about doing it. N nobody's been licking their chops just like, I can't wait to do this. 
we're talking about this because now this has become something that's mainstream. And if we don't talk about it, the people within our congregations, the people within our families, the children that we're raising, if we leave them to go with the flow, what they will end up concluding is the prevailing narrative of our culture. Sort of, there is no such thing really as a man. There is no such thing as a woman. That there's no unique calling for men and women that that helps us to form our identity. And if I feel a little bit confused uh, about who I am, it's a totally appropriate solution for me to either, as a man, to dress up like a woman, or maybe even do some different surgeries to have my body changed into that. That that's a a perfectly fine solution. That is not a healthy societal norm. And we don't want that as a societal norm. Now, people are going to debate, you know, some people are saying, hey, doctors who perform these surgeries should be arrested. This should be illegal to do this. Um, and th there's a lot of questions surrounding kids that I think are very appropriate to talk about hormones with kids or even um, e exposure to these ideas for young kids. Th that all can be worked out, I think, in some different ways. But at the end of the day, what I would hope we would all agree with is we want the societal norm to be, hey, if, if you're a person, that's experiencing some gender confusion, this is not the solution. The solution is maybe you need to adjust a little bit your definition of masculinity if you're like, well, I must not be a man. Um, if you're a man and you're like, well, I'm not into cars, I'm not into hunting, I'm, I'm not into some of these manly activities, I, I like to read and I like music, so, so maybe I'm really a woman, maybe, maybe I need to transition. Well, or maybe you just have a faulty definition of what masculinity is. Or other times we might say, maybe I'm not very masculine. And that might be something to aspire to, to say, all right, God has called you as a man to actually cultivate some of these healthy masculine activities. And so again, that, that doesn't mean that you need to become a car guy. That doesn't mean that you need to get into sports. Some of those are just surface things that tend to be true of most men. But sometimes there is an aspirational sense. I say, no, there's a calling for God for me to be more masculine. And so we've got some other solutions to this. We could say, hey, maybe you have a faulty definition of what it means to be a man and you are a man and you can just accept that. Or maybe there are some things that you need to live up to just like all of us do. And maybe that's the proper way to do it. We want societal norms to be healthy. This is not a healthy societal norm. This is not helping anyone. Um, and finally, the fourth reason why we need to be opposed to transgenderism is because Jesus has a better solution to this. Jesus came to bring life and to bring life abundantly, as he talks about in John chapter 10. Um, and, and so when we're talking about this, I, I think what often happens, and this happens with a variety of issues in our culture right now, is um, we, we look at something like maybe, maybe um, transition surgeries or hormones or things like that. And uh, at least culture-wide, what we say is this, um, this person is so much more happy now that they've made this transition, now that they've stopped hiding who they are and they've start, started acting like sort of the true self that they felt like all along. They feel so much more free, so much more happy. Um, and, and what I would say is, first of all, the data does not necessarily support that idea. But let's say at least initially that's true because I, I think that there is a certain truth that happens with that. Um, when you're fighting and then you surrender, you feel relief. So if there's somebody that's like, uh, I feel like a woman, even though I'm a man and I feel like I'm fighting this and I'm constantly wondering what's going on, you know what would be easier? If I just stopped fighting. If I just indulged whatever I wanted to do, I would feel better. And in the short term, the answer is, yeah, you probably would. 
And so I think even as believers, sometimes we end up in this place where we're like, well, don't you care about them? Don't you, don't you want them to be happy? Don't you want them to experience relief? Like, why, why are you standing in the way? Why are you saying, no, you're not allowed to do this thing that's gonna bring you relief or to make you happy? What we need to understand is that Jesus has something better. And in the same way that we might say to a friend that's saying, hey, I'm, I'm gonna leave my husband so I can go with this other guy. We might say, all right, I understand. Maybe your marriage is tough right now and I feel for you. I feel for you because you're sad and you're lonely within your marriage or your husband isn't living up to, to what he's supposed to do right now. This is not the solution. This is not the way that Jesus has for you. Jesus has life and life abundantly. And that's not found in us sinfully indulging our whims. And in a similar way, we need to be able to say this about transgenderism. It doesn't mean that we dislike anyone, doesn't mean that we're saying this because we're grossed out. It means that we're looking at this and saying, this is a horrifically inferior solution to a real problem that somebody has. And the real solution is not to just indulge this. The real solution is that we all need life in Jesus. And maybe one of the reasons why the, the data is not bearing out that depression and suicidality is really going down after gender transition surgeries um, is because it's dealing with a symptom and not the real solution. I mean, we're all trying to figure out who we are and we're all trying to figure out, it, could, I, could I be loved and could I be accepted for who I am and could I be welcomed even though I, I feel disordered? And this, this is not just for people with gender confusion, this is all of us. I mean, if anybody's ever been through junior high and high school, you know what it feels like to, to feel like I'm, I'm not quite sure where I fit into all of this. I'm not quite sure if I could be accepted and I'm not quite sure if, if I have value. All of us go through that. And then many of us are still going through that in different ways. This is something that we need Jesus to fix in us. This, this is something where we, we need to come to the great realization that there is a God who made us and loved us and that he made us in certain unique ways to bring a unique contribution to the world. And that we're this mix. We're created in the image of God and that's profound and that's beautiful, but we're also fallen and we're broken. And so we have things to overcome. That, that's true of all of us. And if we're able to embrace that God loves us so much that he sent his beloved son to die for our sins and to raise to new life, to bring us into God's family forever, then maybe that, maybe embracing that is a better solution to going into gender transition surgery or going into hormone replacement. The idea here is not that we're saying we don't want people to get help, it's that we're saying we do want people to get help and that's not helping. Um, obviously, this is a heated and controversial topic. The reason, once again, why I'm talking about this is because this is not something where at this point by talking about it, we're picking on some people that are sort of, well, they're already feeling marginalized. Why are you talking about them? We're talking about this because this has become mainstream. This has become mainstream thought that we need to adopt the idea that men can become women, women can become men, and that this is a helpful solution to somebody who is struggling with their identity. It's not a helpful solution. We need to speak up about it, both for those who are in the midst of wrestling with this so that, it, so that there is a better solution. And so that we say, don't go down that road, come down this road instead but also for people who are just sort of going with the flow of society to say, we need to have God's voice in this equation. We need to have the voice of Jesus through scripture in this equation and not just lead people to go with the flow of what society is saying right now. You know, if you have questions, comments, feedback, thoughts on all of this, um, I'd welcome it. 
Um, my call here is not that we would all become sort of public figures in terms of taking this on, um, but that with our families, in our circles, we would not be ashamed to speak up about what we believe the truth is, that we'd speak with grace, that we'd speak with kindness, that appropriately we'd speak with gentleness, but that we will also speak with conviction because we need a Christian voice in this space. Um, but if you do have questions, comments, feedback, you can leave them on this video. You can find all the videos for Christian Contrast um, on YouTube, on our YouTube channel for Life Bible Fellowship Church. You can look at old episodes and you can comment on those also. Uh, and then also, if you just go to lbf.church, you can find our webpage and you can find all sorts of past episodes of the Christian Contrast. Um, we do episodes every two weeks, so I'll be back two weeks from now with a new episode. Until then, thanks so much for taking the time to listen, and I'll see you in two weeks.